Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we have a talk from James Jordan, and here he's going to be discussing the four directions of the church. We want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you enjoy this time of teaching. And here is James Jordan on the four directions of the church. I'd like for us to think this morning about the center that God has given to the church as it's expressed here in this passage that we just heard from the Apostle Paul. Notice and hear again what he says in part, being diligent to preserve unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Spirit creates unity. The Spirit crosses gaps. The Spirit is the matchmaker who calls the right girl and the right guy together. The Spirit is the person who gives a gift of speaking in other languages. That is the ability to learn other languages as it is for us so that we can cross and begin to create unity in the midst of the diversity in the world. And he says here in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But then he continues in verse 11, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. That's linked together. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for building up the body of Christ, that we may attain to the unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. And I'll continue reading. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all respects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the entire body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Well, that's typical Pauline sentences, so dense that you can hardly follow them. But we'll pull out what we want to talk about and think about this morning. And Paul here, as the rest of the Bible, is very realistic about how we actually live and exist in this world. And before we go back to the Bible, I want us to think just a moment about how we live our lives, where and when we live. This is going to seem very trivial, okay? We live between the past and the future. We live right now in the present. Deep thought, right? We also live in relationship to other people that we have an in-group with, people that we know, and we also live with respect to people we don't know, various groups that we're not part of. That's how we're situated in space. Space is trivial in the sense that I'm right here and you're right there. But more importantly, in human space, we have in-groups and out-groups. We have past and we have future. Now, as I said, that looks very trivial, and that's the point. That's absolute rock-bottom characteristic of human life is created by God. 
And God has sent his son into the world to transform all four of those things, to transform the heart of human life, which exists now with respect to past and present, which exists here in in and out groups. That center of things is what's made new. Therefore, all these four directions of life are made new. Now, think about the way the Bible is written. Over and over again in the Old Testament, the prophets say, call the people back to what Moses said and talk about what God is going to do in the future when he brings his kingdom. Throughout the Bible, as you read it, you're always situated in time between what God has already done and what God is going to do. Still true of us today. We know that 99% of what the Bible talks about is stuff that's already been done. But there's still the second coming, and we still live in the age of ages in which the gospel is going out to all the nations. But similarly, throughout the Old Testament, if you look at it, you'll see that there are in-groups and out-groups. There's Abraham and his family, and there's everybody else that he's dealing with. They may be friendly, God-fearing Gentiles, or they may be dangerous enemy Gentiles. Then God sets up Israel, and there's an in-group, and there are out-groups. Throughout the law, there's who you can marry and who you can't marry. You're not allowed to marry somebody that's too close in your in-group. You must stretch out. Okay, The Holy Spirit, who makes different things come together, says you can't marry another man, or if you're a woman, you can't marry another woman. You don't marry your sister. You don't marry anybody that's close to you. You marry someone that's exotic. Okay, Different. And the Spirit creates that and makes something new out of bringing two relatively different things together. There's nothing more different than men and women. But also, you know, can't be brother and sister. Originally it could, but now by the time we get to Moses, God says, no more of that. It was okay when there weren't very many people, but now there's enough different kinds of people around where I don't want that anymore. In groups and out groups, it's all over the place in the law and in the way people think. If you go into an archaic culture anywhere in the world, in other words, a culture that's living under an equivalent of the old creation, you have all these same taboos, what you can eat, what different things there are on different days, who you can marry. The true form of all that archaic taboo stuff is in the Old Testament. But this still continues to be the case any place the gospel hasn't gone and shattered that system. Well, if that's sort of the subtext that's important in the Bible, then you see what the kingdom does is it makes a new kind of person, Jesus Christ, a resurrected human being, and his resurrection body and blood are given to us in a mystery right today to make us different kinds of people at the center of the world, to give us a different past, a different future, a different in-group, and a different out-group. How do these things relate? Because I want to talk about the church. Before we talk about the church, let's talk about a business. Say that you have a factory. There are four kinds of people in your factory. There's managers. What do managers do? Managers work with the in-group. They deal with all the people that are working for the factory. They make sure they all coordinate among themselves and are working together and that there's not a whole lot of conflict going on. Okay? Conflict management. So what a manager is supposed to do, deal with the in-group. You have salesmen. Salesman deals with the outgroup. All the stuff that's made by all these men and women who are in the factory has to be related to the outside world. We're making something nobody wants. We're going to go out of business. Now, we may send a salesman out there to persuade people that they really want these things, 
But if they don't, we better change what we're doing in here. We have to have a relationship with those who are outside. So we have managers, we have salesmen, we also have workers. What do the workers in our factory do? They're very past-oriented. The reason they're past-oriented is because they go to work and they do the things that have already been set up as patterns in the past. They do certain rituals. They engage in liturgies that have come from the past. You see, if I am a worker 616, let's make me 617, okay? As the car comes along the line, my ritual is to screw this bolt in right here. And the car goes by, and another car goes by, and my ritual is I screw this bolt in here. Somebody in the past established that ritual, that liturgy, and told me in the ritual of building the car as it goes down the line, these are the rituals you will do, and I'll do them the same way every time. And that comes from the past, and it's a repetition of something that's been done before and before. So I'm past-oriented as a worker, and then there's another group of people in our business that are future-oriented. Engineers developing new kinds of cars or whatever. And entrepreneurs seeing new opportunities for the business. For a business to work, you have to have some people who are doing stuff the same way it's been done. You have to have other people who are thinking about new things to do. You have to have some people that are managing the in-group. You have to have some people who are relating to the out-group. Big deal, right? Well, it says here, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now, that's those four things. Apostle. Apostle means, has to do with foundations. Apostles lay the foundations. Our faith is apostolic. In the words of the Nicene Creed, we confess one holy Catholic and apostolic church built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Once the prophets have been written down, it becomes part of the apostolic deposit. So the church has an apostolic dimension, primarily focused in on the Bible. This is not going to change. It comes to us from the past. But there are also rituals and liturgies that come to us from the past. Jesus tells us how to do the Lord's Supper. That's how we should do it. We receive psalms and hymns from the past. We maintain these things. That's an apostolic dimension of the church. Grounds us in all the things God has done in the past. Then there's a prophetic dimension of the church, which has to do with the future. We see problems. Problems need to be solved. God raises up new things that need to be dealt with. And you'll find in the church that some people are more apostolic. They have a, hey, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it mindset. They're willing to leave things the way they are. They'll argue, hey, let's not change things. And you have other people who are always unhappy. They're prophets. Okay? They're never comfortable. And they're always seeing the need to change things and make things different because it's just not good enough yet. Then we have those who focus on the in-group, pastors. They are disciplers and teachers. The pastor's job is to try to keep things primarily peaceful in the church. And then, of course, they're evangelists who deal with the out-group. And in any healthy church, you'll have people who are oriented in these four directions. You'll have some people who are always talking to other people out there and bringing people in. They're evangelistically oriented. You'll have others who are 
pastorally oriented. They'll be the ones who will say, I want to go visit so-and-so. I want to go talk to so-and-so. They're sick. You'll have other people who are always wanting to change the church because it's not good enough yet. And you'll have others who are saying, we need to respect the tradition. We should not be tearing things up and making too many changes here. Let's make sure we've got the foundation right. These are the directions and the dimensions in which the church exists. Now, any given church tends to get off in one direction or another. So you can look at the Church of Jesus Christ as a whole and you can see, you know, Baptists tend to be pretty evangelistic and Episcopalians and Presbyterians in their own ways tend to be pretty traditional. Episcopalians with styles of worship, Presbyterians with creeds and catechisms and the Westminster Confession. We tend to be kind of apostolic. And you've got churches that are always ready to make changes because they're responding to a new situation. Charismatics tend to be that way. They're much more ready to make adjustments to new situations out there. You go to a charismatic church, they've got white and black people, rich and poor people, smart and dumb people all in the same church. How'd they do that? You know? Because they have a lot of flexibility. Then you have churches that are highly pastoral, where there's a whole lot of love and ministry that's going on to people who are there. And you can get imbalanced on these things. If you focus on the past too much, you ignore the challenges of the future and you will shrink down and die. That's what happens. You get too past-oriented. You get smaller and smaller because you're constantly reiterating old answers to old problems while God has raised up new problems and you don't want to think about those. The Pharisees were a lot like that. The Pharisees were past-oriented. And when you become very past-oriented, you start to pervert the past and dream up things in the past that never really were there. Time fails me to go into detail there. But it's also true that you can have too much of the future. You can become so future-oriented, so oriented toward change that you lose respect for tradition. If that happens, a church or an institution becomes prey to revolutions. There's constant change. There's no stability. People begin to say, I don't know where this is going to stop. Every time I come down to this church, it's different. And that kind of person can get into the mode of thinking, I need change at any cost. doesn't matter what it is. The zealots in Jesus' day were like that. Well, we got to change the situation. we got to get rid of these Romans. It doesn't matter what it takes. Change at any cost. Revolution. Because we are too much concerned with the problems and the need to make changes. Well, it's possible for a church to become so oriented toward their in-group that they fail to learn to get along with anybody else. You know what happens when a church or a nation or any group of people become so preoccupied with their in-group that they don't learn to get along with anybody else? The result is war. Okay, Suspicion, hostility. They believe the worst possible things about those people over there because we haven't spent any time getting to learn what they're like and find out how they think. They may still be wrong, okay? But we make no attempt to get along with them. We just drop out. And you've had in the history of the church groups that did that in Jesus' day. They were called Essenes. They just dropped out of society. And they produced a whole bunch of literature like the War Scroll that talked about how everybody else was going to get theirs, and they, the little group, was going to be exalted. 
possible for conservative Protestants to fall into that mindset as well. And then it's possible to be so oriented toward evangelism and those who are outside the church that you fail to teach and disciple. You can go to churches where they invite people to walk down the aisle every week. Every week there's a gospel message. Nobody ever gets beyond that. They don't ever teach the people and disciple the people so that there's continual immaturity and anarchy in these churches. Some Baptist churches tend to be like that. Liberal churches also, minimizing all the discipleship and teaching in the church and wind up compromising with the world. The Sadducees in Jesus' day were like that. Well, God has sent his spirit to center us in all four of these things. And there's no formula that one can give to say, ah, if you have this percentage of evangelism in your church and this percentage of visiting among the people in the church, or this amount of church dinners for the in-group where we're fellowshipping, and this percentage reach out, and this percentage of spending time on the classic doctrines, and this percentage of thinking new weird thoughts by having people like me come in, okay? <laughs> there's no percentage there. But the Spirit is given to keep us fixed in these things so that we grow in all four respects. Because, you know, these orientations, these four directions of life, all lead to God. If you look far enough into the past, where do you get to? The creator of the universe. Then everything comes from that. In the beginning, God created. If you look far enough in the future, there is God the judge who will bring everything back to himself. Someday even that blue sky will be gone. That firmament was dropped into place on the second day of creation. Eventually it will be gone and heaven and earth will be face to face again. Everything will return to God. If you look far enough out, you'll come to heaven and to God on his throne. Won't you? And if you look far enough in, you'll find the Holy Spirit. You'll find Christ in you, in your midst, and even in your heart. God is the orientation point for all of this. Now, all I have wanted to do this morning is to get you to think a little bit about these things. Because this is a perspective on life. It's a perspective that's so fundamental that we don't even notice it. That the Bible is continually talking about the past and the future. It's continually talking about those who are outside and those who need to be ministered to inside. And we should begin to become very aware of those four directions. There are four ways in which God manifests himself to us from the past as creator, from the future as the transformer of all things at the end, from outside in heaven, and from inside in our midst as we are surprised at what another Christian will say to us. Or maybe our heart convicts us and Jesus works with us from within. And today, in a few minutes, when we come to the Lord's table, God will send us his spirit in a special way, the spirit who makes us one, and the spirit who makes the church apostolic and prophetic and evangelistic and pastoral. That same spirit will work through bread and wine to make us more this way. You see, the Lord's Supper is, first of all, we may say a memorial. Do this as my memorial. What's a memorial? Well, part of what a memorial is, is it reminds us of something in the past. It signifies something in the past. The finished work of Jesus Christ. His body and his blood. Blood that was shed once and for all and now given to us in a mystery. His body 
resurrected and transfigured and now given to us in a mystery. That's all past. So we're reminded of what Jesus did in the Lord's Supper. But we also do it, do we not, until He comes. Is that what it says? You show forth the Lord's death until He comes. So there's a future aspect as well. We're reminded that Jesus is really present here. He's also really absent. I mean, this is not the same as Jesus Christ in person. You don't see Him. You can't touch His side. This is a reminder that by His Spirit He's present. And yet on the other hand, there's something more to come when we as bride are presented before our husband and we see him face to face. So we become aware that not everything is the way it should be yet. There is much left to be done and we are living in between the past and the future. But also, this bread represents not only the body of Christ in the particular sense, but it also represents all of us, doesn't it? We who are many are made one through this bread. This bread reunites us together in one body. That's one of the mystical effects of it, is to recreate this in-group so that we are all one bread, so that we one another one another better. You know, as you read the epistles, it's constantly talking about the need to one another one another. Well, here we are. We're all going to eat the same bread, so we'll all be transformed into the same stuff. If we all ate garlic, we would all smell like garlic, right? You know how it is. Somebody's sitting at the dinner table and say, I'm going to have an onion. And everybody else says, well, I guess we'll have onions too. So that we're not blown away by the one person who ate onions or garlic. You smell like what you eat. You know what? You eat Jesus, you smell like Jesus to God the Father. And that's a good thing. This will make us all partly the same to eat it. And the New Testament tells us that, that the bread unites us so that our in-group is reinforced. The past is reinforced. It's a memorial. The future is reinforced until he comes. We're resituated in the present. We are also knit more closely together, and we are also poured out. This is the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the world, shed for you and for many. For you and for many. Who's the many? Those out there. This blood flows out. Paul says at the end of his life, he's ready to be poured out so that we can be sent out to live sacrificially for others. As he came from heaven, left his home and came outside here to die and shed blood for us. So we need to be ready to be expended for the sake of others. So the Lord's Supper is here then to remind us of all four of these things and to make us stronger in them, to reaffirm our foundation, to reaffirm our dissatisfaction that we want to see Jesus and we're not going to be satisfied until the whole world is brought to his feet. So we want this future and we're not content with things as we are. It reinforces our pastoral life so that we can one another one another because we've all eaten the same bread. It reinforces our need to expend ourselves for the sake of others, whoever they are, someone outside of me, someone outside of my family, someone outside of this church, someone outside of Presbyterianism, someone outside of America, whatever in-group you have, 
You need to be ready to be poured out for it just as Jesus left and went and was poured out for us. The supper gives us all four of these things. It restores us to the center and it restores us in all four of these directions in which we live. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.